Welcome back, Red Spotters, to another show here on Red Spotlight Entertainment. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, and I am joined today by Mr. David Francisco. David, how is this lovely October treating you? Good. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. How's the weather up there in, uh, what, Tucson? Yeah, uh, it's pretty chill. Gets cold at night. The desert gets weird during the winter. Uh, that actually just <laughs> it's not hot. Um, yeah. And the valley's the valley, so you know that. Uh, today we have uh, a pretty good show, I'd say. We have a review, courtesy of David here. He went to go see Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, starring Angelina Jolie and Elle Fanning. Um, he's going to give us his review on the film. And then we're also going to get into, gee, um, uh, a trailer for a small indie film. I think they call it Star Wars, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that humongous trailer that happened. Um, and I'm sure that we've seen endless amount of times. Um, I think I saw an endless loop of the trailer for like two hours straight. Uh, some video was showing it. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm not doing anything better. Uh, so I saw that, um, and we'll be getting into all of, uh, what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, and there will be a, uh, cautionary advisory for the Star Wars portion because we will be discussing, uh, the infamous leaks by Jedi Paxis and by making Star Wars, uh, which are by all, uh, all evidence is pointing to the fact that those uh, leaks were pretty accurate, so it's fair to issue a spoiler warning when, we, when it comes to discussing that particular uh, topic. Also, Jeff Loeb, the head of Marvel Television, is on his way out. It was announced earlier this week that Jeff Loeb at, uh, will leave, I think, by the end of the year, uh, although the report stresses that it had nothing at all to do with... Uh, Disney Plus, sure. Um, and the last thing we'll get into is Bob Iger planting, uh, setting us, uh, making a stance, I should say, uh, in the controversy, the endless, endless, and ever stupefying controversy between the uh, comments made by filmmakers Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, and their issue with Marvel movies or whatever. Honestly, I think it's... Did no one listen? No, no one listened <laughs> to our show last week because, like, we pretty much explained what those comments were about, and yet, no, we're still stuck in the superficial um, reality that we live in, goddamn. Um, so, um, I will be addressing the comments uh, that Bob Iger made, and um, let's just say I have my fair share of uh, strongly opinionated concerns that I'd like to voice um, to Mr. Iger. Um, yeah, we're going to get into it. all that and more here on uh, Red Spotlight number 193. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's start off by uh, asking David. So he went to go see Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which is the sequel to 2014's Maleficent, which uh, starred Angelina Jolie and Al Fanning, both coming back for this movie. And I do believe that, uh, I, I do not, I think it's Johnson Ronning, uh, or uh, I probably botched that pronunciation but he is one of the two directors 
from uh, the indie film Kantiki and also Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales that directed Mistress of Evil. Um, and uh, we, I will be mentioning, because uh, that's all I really have to say, because I, I didn't see this film, but when it comes to the performance of the box office, um, let's just say it's, it's a pretty uh, similar story that we've been seeing uh, from films that, in my view... <laughs> have never been given the green light to go um because you'll lose money because nobody gave a shit um which is why many of us didn't um also don't make a sequel to a film nobody liked i'll just say that um clearly some people on this network hated that movie like absolutely hated that movie so i think we should be clear before we get into mistress of evil david is for you to tell us your feelings on the first maleficent all those years ago i actually really liked it <laughs> okay. Yeah, I actually want to buy like the DVD. Uh, at best, did you? I want to. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, oh, oh, but like okay. I'll get to it. Yeah. For uh, the record, I didn't hate the movie. I yeah. didn't care for it, but it's like mm-hmm. some people had some fucking extreme reactions <laughs> to that movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't like the biggest fan of how it ended the first one with her like becoming good, basically. And of course, this is called Mistress of Evil. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay. No, yeah, but I did like the first one, the whole magic, the fairies, the whole world looked really mm-hmm. nice. Um, and I did like the progression of of uh, Maleficent and Aurora's like connection, mother daughter type of thing. It, I thought it was nice. So going into this one, I really had no idea what the heck they were gonna do, <laughs> or why it existed. <laughs> oh, why it exists? Yeah, why it existed really, and. And right off the bat, they did such a cheap move almost. But it li- there's literally a line in the beginning. It's not much of a spoiler. But it said like, because they say like, I think in the first one, it ended that she became good. Something like that. But in the second one, there's literally a line that it literally said, for some reason, people have forgotten that. <laughs> like, even though it's like five years later. People have forgotten that she became good? Yeah. <laughs> I looked at my sister. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> we need a okay. I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> the, we need to stop right there. Wait, wait. Okay, because there's several things you just said off the bat that I can't just let go. S- the movie starts by saying that in this world of Maleficent. That the ending of the first movie was forgotten entirely, or that she became good. That basically she broke the curse of Aurora. It like it was like people forgot that five years later. Yeah, it it does get explained at the end, but it's still such a cheap move. Like, really? (laughs) I mean, if that's just i mean if you're gonna do that isn't that just a fucking lazy way of starting it off like yeah oh yeah but people forgot that's like saying like um so they open empire strikes back and people forgot that luke skywalker blew up the death star <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'll just say a little bit of realism to that is the fact that uh many many people in this country have forgotten the fact that the policies that George W. Bush enacted as president are uh, the exact same that Trump, Donald Trump it has stood for, but on steroids, and yet they don't see the flaw in that. Uh, so people forget things pretty easily, I'll just say. Um, but usually in a longer period of time than five years. Um, come on. Um, 
Also, your sister willingly chose to see this movie? Yeah, I mean, she's a Disney fan, so like she'll but watch she all of it. But she despised! Let me just say, you know how Coppola said that Marvel films were despicable? That's what she would say about Maleficent. Like, yeah. She hated the first movie. <laughs> I, I won't dwell too much on it, but I, I believe that there was an episode on the Fantasy Fair podcast that I did with Kyle and your sister, um, I believe about a year ago. Uh, about when we talked about Maleficent. Uh, oh, no, it was actually the Once Upon a Retrospect for Sleeping Beauty mm. that we talked about Maleficent. And, um, yeah, so I would I would advise people to go back and um, listen to that podcast. But, um, yeah, she just, she was like, okay, I'm going to go see this a sequel to a movie that I didn't like. I just like, okay. And then you say, well, she's a Disney fan. And then somewhere off in the ether, Peter is like, well, you see, <laughs> fucking cult. Um, but it's like, but you look at the fucking numbers and it's like, okay, but it's very clear that most people that saw the first Maleficent didn't bother seeing this one because they didn't like the first one. And then here you have your sister who didn't like the first one, who willingly went to go see the second one. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> also, she she does enjoy Angelina, Angelina Jolie's performance as Maleficent, which I, she does kill Everybody it. does. Yeah. Everybody does. I mean, that that's kind of like... I think that's what kind of made the first one I think a little bit more disappointing was the fact that that was such a perfect, perfect role for her. And she embodied that character. And um, certainly I think it's fair to say there was some issues in that film that were mishandled. Um, and I, I think the fact that it's more remembered for being a turning point in the uh, live action trajectory of the company, because I think what you see back in Maleficent and what happened there, you I think Disney recognized that even though that movie made $700 million worldwide, they recognized that their core fans did not like what the ultimately the creative decisions that were made in that movie. And I would say that when you couple that with Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which also was a huge success but over the years has really waned as far as popularity is concerned. I think you can track those movies back as the turning point when Disney was like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just copy our own movies that, that people already like and we'll go from there. Which is weird because Maleficent, uh, Alice, and I would say, I guess, Jungle Book, those are ones that are my favorite of like the live action mm-hmm. ones because like, right. they're, they're not the same at all. It's like, as their originals they're different they they, they try to be different right which is the other ones aggressively try to be the same the exact same thing so it's like i i just like i i really wonder like i i don't want to already explode but it's just like i've been saying disney fans can be very influential at times, especially when it comes to movies. And I guess they just figured they'd make more. They made, and they have made more money with Jungle Book and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and Aladdin. To be, they've all been billion dollar films. Um, versus, um, well, I guess also Alice was or Alice won. But the point is, um, it should be noted that Maleficent was, I think, the last time they tried to do anything different. Um, with a live action adaptation. 
in that sense. Okay, so going into this, you know, you already said that off the bat, <laughs> that was fucking, con- that's, that's, that's just weird. Okay, um, I gotta ask you, like, what was the expectation? Because, like, as Alice Through the Looking Glass was, it's an opportunity, first of all, I guess it, it, it's also a sequel nobody wanted because the first film wasn't as loved as people would think. But you have an opportunity, though, if a sequel, a sequel to Maleficent, what's refreshing, even though it comes like five years later after the first one, is that this one doesn't have to be bogged down by any kind of source material, you know? Like, you'd think that they'd have free reign to basically just do whatever they want. And from what I've heard in the reviews, they there's a lot of heavy lifting in this movie in terms of aggressive world building. Uh, so, which I find bizarre. Because who wants... A, a, a Maleficent cinematic universe. I would say it's a cinematic universe, but it they are they really tried hard to like flesh out that world and like right. try to bring in some something really really new. And I mean, I wouldn't say it was like dumb or anything. Like it was really really interesting, which is something a lot of these remakes have not been. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really like. I, it, they could have shortened that world building building part of it, but it was still interesting what they did. Um, the movie, like, I, I like the movie either way. I know it. I kind of made that complaint in the beginning. The movie was fine. The, that last part of the action scenes, it, it was cool. Again, Angelina Jolie kills it again. Uh, or, Aurora and Prince Philip, they were, they were pretty good too. They, they were, I thought they were going to be, be left off on the side and just be like just let it be the maleficent movie but no they did some a few things that were pretty cool i really liked it uh my only complaint like i said in the, in the group chat the dialogue was really weird um it could have been better some like the dialogue just kind of like cut the tension sometimes and just some weird comedy moments well okay uh a, a common uh, issue i've heard is that uh, maleficent isn't in this movie as much as you think no, she's in it a lot. Well, uh, not that she's not in it a lot. Is that she's in? Is is she like? Is she in every scene of this movie, or there's some like portions of the movie that don't involve her? There's some portions of the movie that don't involve her, but that's really just building up the villain, really, and like again trying to like set up Aurora and Prince Philip to like do something towards so, the end. So, who's the villain? Is it Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah, she's the villain. She for some reason hates fairies and magic. And okay, so just to be clear, because like. When I first saw the trailer of this, I was like, you've got to be joking. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I just remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she, it, it was a cool scene. That scene, I, I'm pretty sure I know, what, I know what you're talking about, that part in the trailer where, like, she turns bad. Yeah. Yeah, so that scene, uh, that scene was actually pretty cool because, like, you could tell Michelle Pfeiffer was, like, trying to get her, like, really, really pissed off. And... And yeah, I mean, it worked. I, I thought it was a pretty cool scene. In the trailer of Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, mm-hmm. wasn't the premise that all of this uh, feuding is going on because Maleficent wasn't invited to some kind of a gathering? No, uh, she, should I just go spoilers? <laughs> yeah, just go ahead. No, yeah, okay. I, yeah, okay. No, no, no. She was invited to the dinner. Okay. Uh, and, but the thing is, uh, the villain of the movie 
she invited her so that she can get her like super pissed off so that she can like enact her plan of making her seem evil in front of everyone in the kingdom. Oh, okay. Oh, wait a minute. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I I I think I was uh saying that was basically what happened in the original Sleeping Beauty film, right? Is that Maleficent wasn't invited to some kind of a christening. That's what happened. Yeah, that was the first movie. Um, okay, so okay, what happens after that? Um, so like after Maleficent like gets pissed off at her, she's like, "We're leaving. There's gonna be no wedding." Blah blah blah. That's when the villain goes to the king, and the king just like collapses and faints, and she tricks everyone into thinking that Maleficent put the sleeping curse on him. Oh yeah, and this is where I said that the dialogue was kind of weird because later on Maleficent leaves, the king is in the bed and like dying, and Prince Philip just goes, "Uh, mother, I think you should kiss him," <laughs> because that's how <laughs> that's how Aurora woke up, and it's just it was supposed to be a joke, but it, and I laughed at it. It was just kind of like, that's weird. <laughs> it was it was kind of awkward. You gotta watch it to like for for it to understand that. But yeah, and then, but it is a no. Was it a sleeping curse? Yeah, yeah. It, he was in a sleeping curse, but it, Maleficent didn't do it. The villain got this spinning wheel thingy and got the needle, poked the king, and because she and she never truly loved the king, so he didn't wake up from it. Um. So yeah, so then that enacts her plan of starting a war with people of the fairy uh, people the fairies the magic beings and all that and oh as maleficent was flying away from the castle oh, this is my other complaint there was this character this like redhead chick i don't know what her name was but like they were setting her up to be like some badass because like she literally like goes out of the castle and like gets like a crossbow and shoots down maleficent with a, like an iron ball like yeah, like she was a badass and then what happens in the end she dies by just like going eh, like swatting away fairies and just falls down to her death and it's just like come on like oh uh, god it was horrible we, my sister and I just looked at each other like what the fuck was that <laughs> that was such a waste so what exactly was the world building here the world building was that there were other people like Maleficent and that they you know, they had the wings and the horns and that they were all living underground because they were cast off from the from the earth or from 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 all the other human civilizations. They the humans basically were killing them off because they knew their weakness of uh, iron. Or, yeah, iron. And what it was though is that there's different species of them so like with her she has like pretty dark wings but there's other ones with like white wings there's other ones with like super colorful wings you know the like a parrot like yeah like that super colorful wings they all had like different types of magic and all that and with her though what they set up is that she's the most powerful of all of them maleficent mm -hmm. yeah and it was because she is a descendant of the person that created them, which was like a phoenix. Oh. 
Yeah, from like it, the phoenix, it was a phoenix, and then from like its ashes, it was reborn into like what they were now, and she has the power of life and death in her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it was That's a it lot. Was, yeah, it it was a lot. It was like I said, like it could have been cut short, but like when you see it, like it really looked pretty. Like all the the ones with the wings, with the colorful wings, mm. it it was super super pretty. They all looked very interesting too. I'm sure the costumes were were great. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one. Uh, that's another reason why my sister wanted to watch it. As soon as she sees like the dresses, she's like, "Oh, right. I gotta see the costumes." And like like I said, they all lived underground, so like they. Even though they were underground, there was still like an environment there. There was like a forest, a desert, uh, some snow, I guess. I heard a lot in the reviews, and this is where I think it goes into a different question of whether or not this movie is for children. Okay, so the issue of genocide is uh, in in this movie apparently. So who, am I going to, based on what you told me, my assumption would be that then the, uh, I guess the humans, outcast the fairies or the or maleficent's race of people and that their race were the ones that were being um exterminated yeah their yeah their race was you're talking about the humans or the maleficent so the humans were hunting the maleficent people uh yeah basically as and they were basically exterminating them yeah basically okay that's whoa um in the third act what happens basically? What what is the resolution to all this? I hear there's a, there's like a lot of death involved. That there's a war, a lot of death. <laughs> what do you mean? Like a what? What happened? So the villain has like this. Uh, he was a pixie that was making a weapon for her, and what he did was he basically got iron, turned it into a powder, and then with this like f- this certain flower. He pours it onto it and it, like it turns red, and what um since all fairies are weak against iron, as soon as like that powder touches them, they just disappear. Like they just die. Okay, get, as for clarification, who exactly is the villain of this movie? Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, but you just said he. Oh yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer has a has like this pixie assistant that's making the weapon for her. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Sorry. Uh, okay, okay, my bad. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the powder, like, well, it it used it like on this like mushroom looking type of fairy, <laughs> and like okay. as soon as he poured the powder, it turned into a mushroom. So like that's just one interesting thing because like there's other fairies. One like turned to flowers. Another, I don't know if you remember those tree people in the first one. Uh, the uh, it's a blur. Uh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's a- like these. Think of those trees of from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like okay. there are stuff, there are creatures like that, and they just yeah, they just turn to regular trees, you know. But with Maleficent people, they just turn to dust. And the big battle, the big climax, yeah, they turned, it, they they got dusted. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, it was it, it, it was insane. I wonder though. if they reused the same effect from the Marvel movies and they <laughs> applied it to this. One. I mean, they have the. I mean, if it's built into the database, I would assume they could just reuse it. (laughs) Honestly, they could have just like added some like red powder like around it, and Mm -hmm. I think it it kind of was. Um, yeah, but like so, as the big battle was going on, all of Maleficent's people were flying in. They had no idea of that weapon, but like 
the humans they just throw a shit ton of them towards them oh and, shit <laughs> like honestly like if Male- maleficent hadn't interfered they would have all died like that's how bad they were losing that's how many deaths they were going on it was a literal genocide. <laughs> it was a little, literal genocide. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's just going like this back and forth. And then uh, Prince Philip finds out what his mom was doing. And this is, again, why I said the dialogue um, wasn't so great. Because, like, he confronts his mom with a bunch of other guards. And, like, I can't, I don't even remember what he was saying. But, like, basically, like him trying to turn her good just didn't work and he had to like run away <laughs> okay yeah and just and what i mean by that it's like that scene could have been so much better if it was like a bit more tense like he could have it like, could have been a scene instead it, of what whatever that was it sounds like yeah uh you're saying okay and, and how um, is everything resolved uh like i said she was a descendant of the first maleficent person uh, that was a phoenix so what happens is maleficent kind of sacrifices herself to save uh aurora because it, they were like on a tower and it was michelle pfeiffer aurora and maleficent up there and aurora was trying to convince maleficent like don't kill her let's just all stop all this death and you know create peace but michelle pfeiffer like opens a crossbow shoots at aurora and then maleficent gets in front of her and she turns Maleficent turns to dust and it was yeah and it's like all this sad scene and all that but like it was like over our heads it's a phoenix rising from the ashes so you you see it coming <laughs> like I said so it's just kind of you're just like waiting and waiting and waiting oh, for shit. her oh my god and that's what happened <laughs> yeah so she tur- and it, it was cool though because she turned to an actual black phoenix instead of like you know the red or orange that's always depicted mm-hmm. so it was a big black phoenix so it was pretty badass and yeah she just kind of everyone was just kind of like oh shoot okay well we're I mean, done. it hasn't been a good year for orange phoenixes i'll tell you that <laughs> uh, so yeah so it rises it's a black phoenix it rises everybody is like oh my god okay mm-hmm. but it but then she turns back to normal, and that's when Aurora and Prince Philip are like, "Okay, we're done. These people can are going to live in peace with us in their homeland." And uh, yeah, basically, towards the end, the wedding happens. Uh, it, it, and it was like this funny scene. That was it was so cute because Maleficent, since she doesn't know like human culture, she, she's mm-hmm. always confused, trying to like fit in and all that. And on the scene in the wedding, Aurora comes up to her and goes, "Would you give me away?" And Maleficent goes, "Never." Like <laughs> she did it. <laughs> okay, that's nice. Yeah, it was it was yeah. cute. Um, but yeah, the wedding happens, and they did a a reference of the original, where the you know the fairies, the blue, red, and green fairies. Mm-hmm. They were changing her costume as she was walking down the aisle. Like, oh, oh she that's looks, nice. Yeah, it, was, okay. it was awesome. And they stuck to blue towards the end. That's cool. Did uh, did it end with them dancing and then, like, if they were dancing on clouds? No, uh, okay. it, it ended the same way as the first one. She was flying in the air, but this time oh. it was with her people. With like, and it was it was a nice shot. Actually, okay, we gotta talk about that right there. Okay, so first of all, for the record. As I said, the first movie, I didn't hate. I, I enjoyed it, but I've since forgotten all about it. I didn't really care about it. 
So you're saying that the first movie ended with Maleficent flying off, and then this movie ended flying. Okay. 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 Um, one thing that I really would wish blockbusters would stop doing is like, like, and, and this happens especially with like when they're super powered or superheroes, and it's like. It's the same ending where it's like we have to have the super powered person do their superhero stance. You know what comes into my mind? I think of Alita Battle Angel, which I liked. I think of Aquaman, which I liked. I also think of Wonder Woman, also what I liked. And all of those movies end with like them flying off or swimming off or like riding off and then like ends with like some kind of a stance or whatever. And it's like, guys, like. This is an example of what people say, that all movies feel the same. Now, those three films I mentioned are actually good movies, but, like, they end in the exact same way. And I can probably think of even, if I really think about it, there are more movies that end that way. And it's like, come on. I mean, part okay, the only one where it was like, it worked for me was Aquaman, because that that movie is all cheese. Um, But the other ones were like, okay, guys, like, but Maleficent? Like, we just... Okay, so the closing shot is her flying in the distance with her with her people. Actually, um, it would have been nice if it ended the way, like, the original one, that, like you just said, them flying in the clouds. That would have been so nice, especially because, like, it would have fit better. Because the whole... The, the story was uh, Maleficent and Aurora, like, you know, they were mother and daughter in the, in the beginning, but they were kind of losing that connection throughout the movie. And then it comes back in the end. So, like, it would have been nice of her, like, maybe, like, you have that same shot, like, in the original, but Maleficent is on the side, like, watching them. Like, like she approves this time. That would have been nice. But no, it, it, for some reason, it ends like that, and it kind of, like, shows, like, oh, she has a family now, but Aurora <laughs> is her family. And <laughs> Okay. Um, What, what would you say are... Uh, was yours and your sister's like overall your final thoughts or your walking out of the movie like um uh, my sister said it like i didn't even think about it but she said this movie should have been the first one this is really interesting right because i think while a lot of the reviews that i've read were generally negative i think people like this one better than the first one i think pretty universally i feel mm. I don't know if I like it better. It's about the well, same for me. <laughs> it seemed as if there wasn't... An, well, maybe because people didn't care. But it didn't seem to me that there was an extreme reaction to this movie. There mm. were some that were saying that this was fun. You know? this was, Yeah, it was fun. You know, you know? So it's like... So it seems like your sister preferred this one to the first one, definitely. Cause yeah, she definitely. despised the first one. Um, and you sound like you liked it quite a bit. Yeah, it was... It was like, like I said, it was fun. And then... But my sister, she did she did think of it interestingly like this movie should have been the first one because what they could have done was michelle pfeiffer's character could have been aurora's mom mm. and so like she kills off maleficent's people and then like and then it ends with like kind of like okay she loses but you know they're still like kind of like at war each other so then when you have the second one and it's like the it's like the first one it's aurora's mom having the baby and like this is her revenge that would mm. be cool Okay. Um, in the 2019 list of Disney live-action films, we talk about Dumbo, Lion King, Aladdin, and uh, 
Wait, it was those three, right? And then also Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. How would you rank those films in order mm. of like um, worst to least? Um, or maybe best to worst. Best to worst. Uh, let me see. If those Were those all of them? Yeah, yeah I think it was Dumbo by Tim Burton. And you also had John Favreau's Lion King and Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. I kind of want to say Aladdin's the best. I would say that's the most entertaining. You, you yeah. Think? Okay. Probably because of Will Smith, honestly. <laughs> Just That's the only reason I can think of. Uh, then yeah, I would put Maleficent, and then Lion King, and then Dumbo. One thing it's interesting. So like I mentioned about the box office about this film, it opened uh, I believe around thirty six something million dollars, which is uh, I don't know why anybody was surprised that it was less than half of what the first one did in its opening weekend years and years ago. Which is by the way a trend. This is what happens if you're going to make a sequel to a first film that makes a lot of money. Don't wait five years. People clearly have, unless you're Star Wars or Marvel or I guess Disney Pixar or whatever, people's attention spans are, in fact, people's memories are short. Because this happened with Lego Movie Part 2. This happened with Godzilla, primarily anyway. There were all films that were released five years after the initial installments. And like, at some point, it may be, for a lot of people anyway, either unnecessary or too late to wait for a sequel now in the instance of um because the same shit happened in 2016 with alice and alice 2 no one asked for that movie but if you're gonna make a sequel to a billion dollar film that came out six years after the first one maleficent right now and again as usual um didn't do that well as it should have here but the worldwide box office really kind of bowed it to a to a not so terrible um, opening but it's not going to make it's not going to get anywhere close to the first one and so at the end of the day what's going to happen is the company is going to lose money on this movie the same way i'm sure they lost money on dumbo why would you give dumbo a bigger budget than captain marvel i don't know but that's what happened so i i th- I, I think this really underscores like a lot of and i'd blame alan horn for this the chief of the walt disney studios for making sequels to movies nobody cared for, making them out way too late, and then when they come out, nobody sees them, and then they do terrible. Um, and, of course, over-budgeting them as well. Uh, so it's like, you're doing everything wrong when it comes to, I don't know why you're signing off these movies. And then also, like it doesn't take a genius to figure out that Maleficent 2 just wasn't going to make people go crazy either way. And so, like, if you've got this brand new fancy toy coming out called Disney Plus, you'd think if, you know, the people that actually care about that would then be, I think, I think you'd get more people to actually talk about Maleficent if it was a Disney Plus premiere. Because everybody in their mom on YouTube is fucking like, oh God, can't wait for Disney Plus, can't wait for Disney Plus, all the shows they get to talk about. Now here's, there's literal YouTube channels that have been created devoted to covering the programming on disney plus i really think you might have gotten more traction for this movie if you had made it a premiere on disney plus and i think it's pretty clear it's disney plus material um so it's like especially if you know pretty clearly you're not going to get that big a return on investment if at all a return on this movie it might be worth more to disney plus 
Um, like just think about all the movies in the past few years that have come out that haven't done so well financially speaking for Disney that could have been better better service to promote Disney Plus, like The Nutcracker, which nobody saw. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Christopher Robin, which was good, but nobody really saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, think of others like uh, Wrinkle in Time. I don't know if it was good. Probably wasn't. Nobody saw it, it either way. It was so, not good. <laughs> so it's like, again, like that. that's an Ava DuVernay film. Would have gotten some traction. If you know it's terrible, if you know no one's going to see it, fucking ship it off the Disney Plus. Just wait. Like, you know, um, Steven Spielberg's BFG. I heard it was okay. Nobody saw it. Like, just like, if you know, if you're a company that releases at most 10 films a year, and if you know that the that there are certain films that you've greenlighted that are not going to make any money, but you've got this grand, this brand new streaming service. Why not just hold off a few years and have a whole bunch of content ready to go? You know, when Disney plus launches, which is going to launch fairly soon here also, which I would think would be a, a pretty clear Disney plus. Cause I don't know who the fuck it cares about Artemis Fowl. There's a reason why it was kicked off. It was supposed to come out already, but then it was kicked off in the next year. Who cares about Artemis Fowl? I, I I really don't understand. I, I honestly, even if there is a following somewhere, I do not anticipate Artemis Fowl being a any bigger than than Dumbo was. I completely forgot about that movie, and right? I saw a poster of it in the theater, and I'm like, you just mentioned it, and I'm like, oh my god, it never came out. Yeah, what the hell? Because <laughs> they pushed it to next year. <laughs> just fucking put it on. Just upload it. It just upload the film to Disney Plus. It's not that hard. So it's like. There's so many movies I'm sure people have forgotten. Like Alice Through the Looking Glass could have been a Disney Plus release. No one saw these films when they were in theaters because nobody wanted them. But hey, if you wait for them for Disney Plus, they could have gotten more traction. Like Into the Woods, which I hated. Um, Like, oh shit. Okay. So it's like, also, Disney can like... I think almost all of those films were like live action films. And all of the movies that I listed, I liked maybe one of them. So <laughs> what's happening? Uh, we'll get into it later on. But yeah, I'm just, you know, it's just me. Like if you have a, a sunk cost, but you see an opportunity to maybe make it worth something elsewhere, do it, you know? Um, but yeah. Though that that's the that's I guess that's the review, Maleficent, <laughs> Mistress of Evil. If you care to see it, movie the movie, it's still in theaters. Um, but as far as I'm aware of, everybody everybody is seeing Joker, which I think you saw Joker, right? Oh, um, yeah. Do you want to tell us what you thought about, thought about it? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> A lot of people loved it. It's like right yeah. now at seven hundred and fifty million dollars for an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. It's gonna. If it hasn't already, it'll it'll catch both Deadpool movies to be the highest rated R-rated film of all time. Um, with uh, people thinking it could get really close to a billion dollars, which would make it really profitable. Unfortunately, <laughs> in, I before and I have to say this because it's not going to be a big story, but I want to mention this and I want to get to your review of the movie. WB, whoever is making their decisions, needs to um reevaluate i think their brain capacity right because i don't know if you're aware of what happened with this movie but so it's come out it's come to light as it usually does with post wb films especially dc dc seems to be like 
has a bunch of drama and crap nonsense that gravitates toward it with the WB executives. So initially, the small budget that that was given to Joker that is estimated to be around 56 to around 60, 70 million dollars tops. Small budget for a, for a superhero movie. Originally, that budget was given to them as a way to in in uh, as a way to discourage Todd Phillips from making the movie because he didn't want it to happen. Because at the exact same time, you had Jared Leto lighting a, f- a fire up their asses for this even happening in the first place. So they were getting pressure from Jared Leto. And at the exact same time, they had no faith in this movie. And so they gave it a small budget to kill it. And then on top of that, when Todd Phillips accepted that budget, in order to minimize um, loss, because they believed it was going to be a loss, they cho- they split the finances of the co-financing of this movie three ways. So they didn't pay for the whole thing. I think two other parties came in and helped finance this smaller budget superhero movie. So the fact that <laughs> it's become a bigger hit than Justice League, literally, um, which, whoa, right? Like <laughs> this R-rated Joker movie, which is, it is a much better film than Justice League. Um, it's much the better. Really. The best of the Disney. <laughs> yeah. As far as craft is concerned and the filmmaking behind it easily. Um, and so when you have this film that you literally did not want to happen, that you went out of your way to save your asses from, you know, you know losing as much money as possible. This $750 million worldwide gross is now being, you, it's not just yours. It's being split up three different ways. Mm-hmm. You idiots. <laughs> it's like, even when you win, you lose. And it's like, later on, I'm going to really give it to Disney. But like, really? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't blame them for being worried. But at the same time, like, you fucked up on all your other ones. They're like, you're trying to go Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're trying to create like a Marvel movie. Uh-huh. Like, you already fucked that up. You should have taken a chance on this. Like, we're not watching these movies because of like, they're of a certain quality. We're watching that because it has a Marvel logo or a DC logo on it. Like, that's the only reason why. And, like, even if, like, the Marvel movies I think didn't that have... logic alone should have told... It, it should have been made clear to them. It's going to be very successful. Regardless of the quality, a Joker movie was going to be successful. I feel... I mean, if it wasn't as good as it was... It might have made what five hundred million. That's still very good for an R-rated movie. Like, come on, guys! And then when you think about the year that WB has had, they've had a terrible year. They've had a year they thought was going to be a all-star lineup. They had a lot of their key franchises. They had a Pokemon, Godzilla, off the heels of Harry Potter last year, um, Lego, like. And then also Shazam, which was very good, I thought, and then nobody saw. So it's like a lot of those movies, while they weren't disasters by any means, but they were disappointments. Even It Chapter 2 didn't do as well as the first movie. And then there were issues with that film, creatively speaking. But the one movie that exceeds all expectations in your catalog for 2019, but and then... 
you can't even claim all of the hall of that film. You have to split it up three ways. I mean, that's just rich. And <laughs> for fucking Warner Brothers, every time they do this. Um, so, yeah, Joker. Look, my feelings are very complicated on the movie. I'm sure you've heard. I neither hate this or love this. What I do love and what I will agree with everybody about this film is the craft and the filmmaking behind this movie. I would consider this film to be an instant Academy Award nominee, at least for me anyway, for best cinematography and for best original score. Um, and definitely for probably hair and makeup. And um, on all those levels, uh, it was it looked like a masterpiece. So I think that in and of itself is worth recognition of those accolades. I'm even sure Joaquin Phoenix is going to be in consideration, if not a an automatic nominee for his performance, which was haunting and chilling and outstanding. Um, my issues were with the writing of the film, but either or, I'm not, I don't really feel too strongly one way or the other. I probably need to see this film maybe again whenever I get the chance to do so. Um, but I think the consensus is pretty clear that people are in love with this movie. Like, you said you loved it. Kyle loved it. I uh, spoke to our own Nettie Valdez. You know, she's the the resident filmmaker of our group. She loved it. So it's like, you know what? Like, hey, and this movie made $750 million worldwide. And they loved it. People really do love this. And I think from what I've been hearing and seeing, it has become kind of a phenomenon, really. Um this performance in this film. So tell us, uh, not, let's not dwell too long on it because we got a lot of stuff to get to, but Joker. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's already been said basically like, um, yeah. the, it's everything's so great about it. Cinematography, the music, yeah, like yeah. I really have trouble focusing on music when it comes to movies. Cause like, I'm just paying attention to like performance. And but like, you noticed this one. I noticed it right yeah. off the bat. Just like it. I mean, it's not just loud, but like it really created it. It, it helped enhance um, Joaquin Phoenix's performance. That scene in the, when he goes to the bathroom and on dancing, like, yeah, it's absolutely. just sort of like, it's, you feel weird about it, but you're also like, so intrigued by it. And yeah. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, he was amazing on this. Yeah, he. Uh, I remember towards the end of it when he, when he's doing the interview, I just felt uncomfortable. Like I knew <laughs> what was going to happen. Like I knew yeah. something bad was going to happen. But it's like, how bad are we gonna go here? Yeah. And um, and I just I I really like that aspect of um of like hit how the things everything that was set up to like make him go insane or basically turn him evil and i know some people say like are always a lot of people are kind of like don't really like that part of his mental illness being part of his uh rise of evil but what i liked about it though is that you know is yeah we're supposed to look at this as like this is what happens if you don't like treat people uh give people the right treatment or like you put someone down all the time but like one thing that's what we have to look at it but we never really asked ourselves a question and that is 
did he turn evil because of his mental illness or because of the people? The movie, to me, was trying to make the case because I feel like he was kind of spelling it out in his monologue at the end of the movie that the Joker became the Joker because society is shit, because society was putting him down, and because of all the conditions that exist in society um, that were affecting him personally and everything. But in, as you say, and it's fair to go into spoilers because we talked about this film for quite a bit already, but it is revealed um, that he is not only, uh, he is the way that he is primarily because of his upbringing. His mother was mentally ill. I think it's implied heavily that it was kind of genetic to begin with. And then also the fact that she fucking kicked the shit out of him. And he was adopted. (laughs) Oh, he was adopted? So, yeah, you remember? Did, he was adopted, so it's not genetics. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. No, maybe. The, okay. Scratch that. Yeah. I, I, I assumed it was. Okay. So, so again, the, though, that's right. Again, okay. that's the question is that is like it's it's a nature versus nurture type of thing. Right, he has right. a mental illness, but raised by someone who also has a mental, mental illness. illness. Right. And it's just it's all these things that you kind of have to think about, like, what is it? That got him to be so, this okay, way. So was he mentally ill? At like, okay, was he mentally ill because his mother abused him? Is that the implication then? Because again, we don't know. Okay, because he he was horribly abused as a child, and that could have as far as far as we know that caused his laughter. Because I think in the card it says like it usually happens because of some brain injury. Right, right. But that doesn't mean that he has a men- like a mental illness per se. I don't I don't I know I, I mean, do not, I I'm not an expert. So <laughs> I think that maybe qualify as a disability. Okay. Like if yeah, you yeah, have yeah. uncontrollable laughter and you can't I mean Yeah. That to me looks like like a disability. Um and I like that twist. Uh, or, or at least that aspect of it. So yeah, I think yeah. the reason why I wasn't so sure was because it 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 seemed like the movie itself did not make up its mind. But you seem to take it as if well Maybe it's up for you, the audience, to decide what really happened here. Mm, yeah, I hadn't, I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I literally thought that the film was saying one thing, but it showed something else. No, but that, I had, I hadn't heard your perspective yet. Yeah, we, you look if you look at the movie, like there are so many things that like that shows why it's caused, but also there's things that like shows that it could have gone a different way like yes he he has a mental illness but in the beginning though they showed that he was fine he didn't have like a great life or anything but like he had a job he he was taking care of his mother who he did love and all that he wanted was uh like he wanted a father figure that was like the only thing that he kind of wanted in his life but then you know, just people keep putting him down. People kept betraying, betraying him. And when he thought he was finding uh, someone to love, I don't know if he, like, he knew that it was in his head this whole time or, like, he uh, he truly believed it. But, like, once he, it, once the reality kicked in, it kind of just, it, again, it just, it's just one thing after another after another that just kind of puts him down it's it's insane like you really have to rewatch it again dude like because you'll notice things that kind of you can totally see how much his life would have been different if just someone was good to him 
clarify well, yeah, he... I, and I think that that's why it's like the movie is is showing that. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough uh, cookie for me. Um, but I will see it again. Um, I just think the the reaction I had to it was um, yeah, I understand. There's an election going on right now. I'm very emotional <laughs> as I am with every fucking election, and there were some things that I think weren't handled the best. Um, and again, separating it from it, I do feel though that if you're a message movie and in the way you deliver that message is flawed, that should be examined. Now, it's been, I think, what, three weeks since I, I whenever I see it again, I'll, I'll make sure and look out for those things. But, you know, I, I think really for me, it's, what I'm having a struggle with is getting to the point where I actually really like them, like like the movie. What I like is all of the wonderful filmmaking that's on display. And what I do especially like is what this could mean for the future of superhero movies, for comic book movies. And it, I think it shows you that you can take risks, that you can take different directions and, and, and you can do something that's not doesn't have to be so bogged down by a cinematic universe and just like out of left field do something new and creative with it and you can still make a fucking billion dollars you know so it's like i i just think at the end of the day i'm glad that it exists because overall it's good and and great to a lot of people but it also i feel can show i, I feel okay okay warner brothers if you're listening Okay, I guess that in the past, it's been pretty trying for you. To my eyes, you have an example. Now, just stay on the road that you're going and you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine because I think what, what, what DC and Warner Brothers are going to do in the next few years is they're going to, I feel, deliver products that are superior than what we're going to get from Marvel Studios. And I feel that way because it certainly seems that the uh, priority now is to have director-driven films. In 2021, they're going to have alone Matt Reeves' Batman. Matt Reeves, wonderful director. And of course, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. So it's like, I think, and, and we've already seen some leaked images that looked crazy as fuck, but you know exactly what a Suicide Squad movie would look like. So I just think, and, I, and honestly, I really hope Kevin Feige's paying attention to. I really do, because I I think my main issue with Marvel Studios lately is that it feels more and more and more like just one person's calling on the sh all the shots. And I get that to a, a degree he is, but I just wish, I think the main problem that we have said is he every now and then he'll let a Taika Waititi or a James Gunn or a Joe and Anthony Russo um, do what they're going to do. Most of the time, he doesn't do that. Very hands-on. Um, and I, I, I just think that the time has come as a cinematic universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, has its peak in Endgame. And I think for the future of comic book movies, we're going to look back on Joker and we're going to see not only a turning point, um, but I think an example of what the genre needs to do to continue going and to continue to stay fresh. Um, 
So that's we'll we'll, we'll leave the discussion on Joker there. We should probably get to, to Star Wars because that's going to be <laughs> quite a bit of a lengthy discussion. Um, yeah. So the Rise of Skywalker had its trailer out this week um, on Monday Night Football, Football Night in America. Don't care, but okay. So the trailer dropped. And um, reviewing it as a trailer, it's a pretty great trailer. Um, The music is spectacular. The film is shot and it's it looks exquisite i mean just the the the, the location shots the all of the freaking spaceships the horses on star destroyers um all the the droids and the uh the lightsaber action and the atmospheric um uh spirituality of star wars is definitely ingrained one of the things that I actually um my favorite line from from the from the trailer and i think this is actually pretty true to star wars is a voiceover of mark hamill saying to ray the destiny of a jedi is to confront fear it's it's a great line um great for especially luke uh to say um and fairly emotional i think surprisingly emotional um I think from a marketing uh, perspective, they're doing an excellent job Uh, and it's going to kick into high gear now since we're in the last two months of marketing. But I think obviously the moment uh, that was meant to kind of tug on the heartstrings a little bit was in the center, in the middle of the trailer where you go to see 3PO and he's like, he's taking one last look at his old friends, which is like obviously what we are by looking at this trailer and this film, which is meant to close off as what they call the Skywalker saga. Um, What else here? Um, We saw a lot of Poe and Finn. There's also a lot of um, looking back and examining this trailer. There's a lot of Easter eggs in that trailer, like a lot of Easter eggs. And I think that may be representative of like, there's going to be a a lot this like the last this is episode nine closing off a nine film saga a lot of callbacks in terms of easter eggs in the trailer i saw like a like a battle droid was in the background uh of uh c3po um you saw a lot of old ships you saw the tanavi which is the original uh cruiser that opens the first star wars movie that's being chased by the star destroyer you see a u-wing from rogue one the hammerhead corvettes from rogue one and rebels the ghost from fucking star wars rebels is there right behind the millennium falcon um the 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 bombers from the last jedi the bomber fleet is there like it's really like okay that's cool like that's really a, a culmination and i think there's something really inspiring about what this trailer was because it did and i think with this movie ultimately whether we like it or not is attempting at the very least it seems to be in the true spirit of star wars and to kind of live up to what that ending was in episode eight when you see as far as the 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 rebellion is concerned to kind of like get people to to join as what they say in the trailer good people will fight if we lead them um and it seems as if lando calrissian is going to be a key part of uh getting all those of that that fleet was massive i don't recall ever seeing a rebel fleet 
look that massive in any other Star Wars movie, which they're going to need um, with that endless sea of Star Destroyers um, that we're seeing um, in, in the in the film. Other cool stuff that we saw in the trailer was, of course, the throne to Emperor Palpatine was right out of uh, the original works of Ralph McQuarrie. Ralph McQuarrie, who was the original design artist for basically designed the look of Star Wars um, that was originally drawn, I think, for the Emperor's uh, throne when they were making Return of the Jedi is now used literally. It's right out of those drawings um, in uh, Rise of Skywalker. And of course, at the center of all this, you have Rey and Kylo Ren, which um, it, it it just like if I, I really it it looks great, all of it looks great. And had I not been previously aware of what we're about to discuss, I'd be inclined to say, "Wow, this looks amazing." Um, so those are my thoughts on the trailer. Um, We'll get to the leaks afterward, but let's just stick at the trailer right now. What do you think of the trailer, uh, David? Uh, I I loved it. Like you said, uh, every shot looked so beautiful, and I just love kind of just what they're creating with that whole with that you know, ice planet. Or mm-hmm. we're saying it's like an ice comet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. With the star destroyers <laughs> come out of the ice. Yeah, 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 I think I think they call it Hexagon or something. That's what I was reading. It was called. That's the the location where the, where the emperor was at. I would assume. Yeah, but that that thing looked so beautiful. Um, having seen that that one shot of Ray, Poe, and Fit in the Millennium Falcon, it's nice, it's sweet. I can't wait for that battle of in of Ray and uh, Kylo in the ocean. Like it's just it's just gonna oh yes so right great. that that looks spectacular yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's just it I mean again this is not unless if I didn't know about the leaks there's really not much I could say about this trailer other than just that it just looks beautiful and I love the music it was actually I like the music a lot and it's actually the same reason why I like the Force Awakens trailer. <laughs> too it's oh, because yeah, of the yeah, music yeah. too it, yeah. it really reminded me of that only this one obviously rise of Skywalker was a bit more epic about it mm. and it was it was cool yeah as you said it's um it, it it definitely colors this entire um i guess trailer review if you will the fact that we were kind of purviewed to certain things that this trailer seemingly confirmed. Now, at this point, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to discuss, basically, are going to be spoilers. These are heavily detailed uh, plot leaks that were uh, leaked on by the famous Jedi leakers uh, making Star Wars and Jedi packs that a lot of channels have been talking about. And um, while I still am going to put in the asterisk of uh, it being not official because of course we haven't seen the film what should be noted is we kind of needed to see what the trailer was going to be and that was going to determine whether or not a lot of these things that we had been reading and hearing were true or not and i think on the on the surface of it it definitely seemed to confirm a large 
overwhelming majority of these leaks to be in the right. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and get into what in this trailer was in there that we thought, okay, that whole thing with C-3PO was literally in, in those leaks that we talked about where what happens in there. And of course, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear it, go ahead and skip out of this discussion. I'll have it. Uh, the timestamp will be below on where you have the episode downloaded. But what happens was, so C-3PO um, in, it can't decipher, I guess, the dagger, the Sith dagger that they have. And so he needs to reboot into a different mode, which would mean wiping out his memory. That's that's literally what we're seeing in that trailer. And so they do that. And then if you recall to the first teaser trailer, it had 3PO with the red eyes. So that's seemingly confirmed. Of course, in the next shot, which was kind of a giveaway where you have 3PO and R2 together, I would assume that's toward the end of the film where R2 reveals that he has a backup of C-3PO's memory drive. So it's like those were detailed in the leaks. Um, so we have that. If we look back to the teaser trailer, in the beginning where um, Ray is fighting off that Star Destroyer that's seemingly on the planet, the desert planet, Pasana. There are, um, I would assume, this happens where she shoots lightning, she destroys a cruiser, and seemingly kills Chewbacca. That's what we were reading. But then, when they go to uh, Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer, um trying to rescue, I think his, uh, Chewbacca might have been taken prisoner, and he was taken prisoner, because in the scene in this trailer where Rey and Kylo Ren are like, she has the dagger in her hand, but they have their lightsabers ignited, and they destroy a statue, and they're in, the, they're in this room that looks like it's on, I don't know, a, an Imperial cruiser or something. Um, in the background, you see uh, Chewbacca's bowcaster. Um, so that could be in the event. And of course we've seen leaked images. Well, not leaked. I think actually official images of, um, the Falcon blasting away with Kylo Ren, you know, being blown back by the adverse effect of going that. So a lot of things are kind of like panning out to where it's seemingly validating, um, a lot of what we saw more, what we saw in this trailer. Um, what did we see here? There might have been a mistake because in the shot in this trailer, David, when we see just the tiniest glimpses of Palpatine hooked up to some machine, which also was in the leaks. Um, before that, you have a shot of Ben, Ben Solo. And if you if you look carefully, there's a blue a blue like glare, which could indicate a blue lightsaber that he has ignited. Um, it's faint, but if you look carefully, there's a, a blue reflection of some sort in that shot as he's turning away. Um, it's the shot right before we see the smallest glimpses of Palpatine and he's looking at Ray. Um, so if you look back at that, there is some indication as far as that is concerned. Um, and it, it just looks like everything else that was in there it it wasn't um against it didn't go against anything that we've read um other subtle hints in the trailer were how um what happens the trailer closes with the force will be with you then you hear leia say always 
which could uh, uh, indicate her um, her demise in the film when she passes away and then she becomes one with the Force. So, which again is something that has been very much detailed. So, it seems as if a lot of these things were confirmed. Dude, that's like, how is the leaks detailing the entire movie? Like, the more I think about it, it just really makes me think it's like, like it's all fake. But you see the trailer and it's like, it's right there. You see, yeah, it's mind blowing, you know, the fact that we, that, and I actually have an answer for you because um, we were discussing this, uh, Peter and Kyle and I, and I, I had the same question. I think maybe Kyle had the same question. How the fuck do we know the whole thing already? Like, how is, how is it that easy to get it? And Peter's answer was basically um, Bad Robot, which is the production company that's owned by J.J. Abrams, is really bad, living up to their name, apparently, uh, at, at, at this, because The Last Jedi, which was in-house at Lucasfilm, because that, that, that was Ryan Johnson, there weren't any leaks anywhere near the le- this level. However... Peter, apparently, unbeknownst to me, and apparently the rest of us, the entire plot of The Force Awakens was leaked in October of 2015. I didn't know that, um, but apparently it was. And if you notice, with Force Awakens and with Rise of Skywalker, both being J.J. Abrams films and Bad Robot Productions, I think the assumption is that Bad Robot is just fucking terrible with leakers. That's the way it looks like, because aside from all of... We we have... extensive and i mean extensively detailed descriptions of not only the all of the plot um but all of the different acts um in this film going back months and even now as i shared with you we also have leaked images of the movie that are already out leaked images that show uh that ben solo has a blue lightsaber next to ray as they're about to take on the Emperor, which again was detailed in those descriptions. We also have a leaked image of Emperor Palpatine shooting lightning up into the sky um, for whatever reason. So it's that bad that like, okay, I'm just waiting any day now for the whole film to just get leaked online. That's how bad it is because remember, I think, I don't know if you had the chance, I stayed away from it, but I know that I think Endgame got leaked, right? Like two weeks before? Yeah. It, like all, a bunch of important parts of the movie got leaked. I never saw it, but I remember from what Kyle and Peter said, like, they, I think they explained which scenes got leaked or what got <laughs> yeah. spoiled for them. No, the whole thing. It was the, the whole thing. thing. <laughs> I'm glad I stayed the fuck away from that. Yeah, um, same. But it's like, at this point, and that happened with Marvel, and that doesn't usually happen with Marvel. Um, so if if oh, and I guess we should also mention, and I feel like we've kind of blocked it out because Game of Thrones was, yeah, it was Game of Thrones. The series finale was leaked, I think, weeks before it aired. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard about that too. Um, so Peter read that, and he knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, it's 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 been a crappy year for these studios. Uh it's mm-hmm. been a great year for leakers apparently. 
but um it's gotten to the point where it's like i'm just waiting for the movie to just be dropped out of the blue on reddit or something um so with all of this being said i feel i've made my feelings on these leaks pretty clear and and i'll reiterate certain things but i want to get to david and and please take all the time in the world um to tell us two things and please go in in immense detail um what you originally thought of these leaks when peter and i spoke about it on this show weeks ago and then also how the trailer you saw affects those feelings uh first hearing the leaks i i really just thought a lot of these things can't happen like i mean that can't happen but like that's what i was saying (laughs) yeah (laughs) like the only one that like i kind of would have liked i would like to happen is see that one it's like a flashback of uh luke training leia just because like i think that would be like a really sweet scene maybe they can do the whole de-aging thing but why were you saying that to yourself why was the initial reaction oh come on this can't be real no, it it wasn't because it was bad or anything. Like some of them, it looked re- like sounded really cool. Like a, a Palpatine obviously being back, him hooking hooking up to like a bunch of gadgets to stay alive. Like I can understand, I can understand that because dude's like two thousand years old or something. So it makes sense. It's just kind. It's just my thought of there's no way Disney could let this happen, and also just allow the film to have been entirely spoiled yeah it's like there's there's no way and i just and i really thought it was like star wars haters who just wanted to talk shit about the movie which they are Mm. i mean they yeah it was always going to happen either way and i I just kind of thought they just wanted a reason to like tell people don't watch this movie don't you know it's it's obviously going to be bad disney doesn't know what they're doing blah 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 so that's that was my thought and then seeing the trailer though like it clicked it, it really clicked that like oh my gosh it's it's <laughs> the leaks which pro- are probably true and like i said like i never thought they were bad because seeing the trailer it got me excited you know i want to see the i want i wouldn't mind seeing a lot of these things um mm-hmm. palpatine in the chair um i don't want kylo to be good though that's the only thing i don't want to happen kylo ren yeah oh i think that ship sailed um well it's like okay let's be clear or clearer um on a lot of these leaks um were there aspects about it that you weren't necessarily a fan of whether it be, let's say, the powers that apparently Ray has to um, bring life or uh, to, to bring people back to life or to shoot lightning uh, or her being the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine. I forgot about those. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't like yeah. I don't like any of that. I don't want her to be the granddaughter <laughs> of Palpatine. I honestly prefer the clone one. I don't really care. <laughs> At this point, the clone. Yeah. Let's go for the clone. Um, so, yeah, th- those were there. Those were the kind of the initial ones that make me go like, oh, oh, boy. Um, okay. There are some other details. Let me remind you of. So, if the leaks are true, that would mean that Emperor Palpatine never died. 
at the end of Return of the Jedi, which would mean he was picked up by Darth Vader. He was blasted back with his own lightning. He was thrown off a shaft and seemingly fell. I don't know how many stories. And there was an explosion, if you remember, um, at the core, which seemingly what we would assume was his body hitting the, the, the core reactor and exploding. So that didn't happen. He had enough time to get on a ship, get the hell away from there, and seemingly go into exile for 30 plus years, all the while operating, enacting Operation Cinder, which if you follow the canon and the lore, the lore, um, <laughs> that uh, Emperor Palpatine's, um, what was it called? His uh, succession, uh, his um, contingency plan in the event of his death was that um, the Empire was would not exist if he were dead. So op uh, Operation Cinder was basically to ensure that the Empire would fall at the hands of the New Republic. There are several things that bother me about that, and I really want you to tell me if I'm being just a little bit ridiculous about that. First and foremost, and this may be the biggest issue here, if, which this seems to be, that Emperor Palpatine didn't die at the end of Episode Six. People would say that that seemingly takes away the victory that Darth Vader had. And that what was originally, or at least in recent years, was the culmination of the prophecy of the Chosen One, destroying the Sith, as George Lucas, I think, said this many times, that the prophecy fulfilled was Darth Vader destroying the Sith, meaning the Emperor and himself. I believe George Lucas has said that several times. And if that's the case, by making Palpatine... It, it, I feel it's different if he died in that moment and then somehow came back through like some mysterious force thing. But him having survived that, some people would say, takes away that victory. Now, putting that to the side, there are the more, I guess... aspects of it that just seem to really not care and again like I, I don't want to be like somebody okay but logically I know this is a fantasy thing but like the guy fell okay like originally Peter was like okay did he jump through a portal or something <laughs> did he open up the world between worlds and then just jump through uh, and then came out on the other side or somewhere of uh, the world between worlds from Star Wars Rebels but I mean you're gonna make the case that the guy survived that fall and then he continued to live while at the exact same time destroying his own empire. But then if you think for a second, okay, but if Emperor Palpatine survived the events of the Death Star blowing up, his empire is still around. The only reason the empire lost the war with the New Republic at the end of the day was in, in large part because people thought the emperor died and because he sabotaged the empire with Operation Cinder. But if Emperor Palpatine had returned to Coruscant and it ended up being that he was alive, it, it wouldn't, I mean, his, 
Okay. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. Tommy. This is why I wish Ray was a clone. Okay. Because then they could just have the excuse of Palpatine died in the Death Star, and the one that we're seeing is a clone. The clone of Palpatine? Yeah. Okay. Like, it's it's a simple thing. <laughs> That's the reason why he's alive. That's the only reason why I want clones to be in this movie. So it's a clone then, of Palpatine. Okay. Mm-hmm. That will make so much more sense. And now that whole um, thing of like him being, if he, if he survived the Death Star takes away from Darth Vader's yeah. win, it doesn't. Because okay. it doesn't matter whether he killed him or not. Right, right. What Darth matters Vader, is that. Yeah. What matters is that he saved his son and he right. did something good in the right. end. Right. That's all that matters. <laughs> and you see, fine. I, I ultimately that's the most important part, and I agree. And that's not taken away. So you know what? I'll leave it there. I, uh, that's a perfectly fine for me. But the rest of it, the rest of it, I'm not sure if it fits with given what we know. Um. Again, I think the asterisk for a lot of what we're going to be discussing, people should know, is the ultimately we're not going to know how we feel about this until we see it actually happen. So that and that may color how um, how we absorb this, obviously. But it's a different thing to have a reaction to something when you're reading it off a piece of paper um, versus how you're actually seeing it being executed. Um, but I think there is something to the fact that, and I think the this connection that I'm about to make is really in line with what your concerns about Ben are, and that is, you wouldn't have any of these questions if you just left Palpatine alone, and if you just made Kylo Ren the big bad of this movie, which was what seemingly what Episode Eight left off was, and if you had made Kylo Ren the villain of this film, he would have been the ultimate evil that you would have to destroy, which would seemingly make the chances of a turning good or redemption seem a little moot. You know, it wouldn't have to go that way necessarily, you know? And I do, I have to admit though, I I, I really would have loved to have seen a supreme leader, Kylo Ren, if you will, you know, run the galaxy. Um, and kind of like, because I feel like that imbalance in Kylo Ren is definitely still there at the end of episode eight, but you can definitely make the case that that was the moment where it was like the point of no return. Like after Luke, that was the point of no return that he was just going to stay on this road. So having that said, you told me just now that you're not a fan of this redemption arc for Kylo Ren. Can you tell me exactly why? Um, well, it's just, again, it's, it's kind of just, the, uh, it's the recreation basically of uh Darth Vader Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And <laughs> which doesn't know. help that you include the emperor in this movie. I'm sorry. Like it, yeah. like you you're just asking for the comparisons between Return of the Jedi and this movie when you just do that. But you're mm-hmm. you're right that you're basically just doing the exact same story from Return of the Jedi into Rise of Skywalker. You just replace out the da- the characters. You know, there's nothing wrong with like when you see a movie and like you know what's going to happen in the end. Yeah. You just maybe don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you do it the exact same way, 
which is the reason why we hate the Disney live action movies. Like, yeah, it's bad. Like, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, you know. And as as much as I love uh, the Force Awakens, even though it's like the exact, the exact same thing. Yeah, uh, I can go off on it. Going like, I like Ray. She's a Ray and Finn and Poe because they're mm-hmm. pretty different characters from right. the original movie. Music's pretty, I mean, it's the same music, but there's some new ones in there. Mm-hmm. There's still something new about it, and oof. that's that's the reason why I don't like. Uh, I wouldn't like Kylo getting a redemption arc. I was not necessarily opposed to a redemption arc so long it wasn't handled in the exact same way. You know, that's kind of the thing. I just feel like the fact that you have Emperor Palpatine in this movie, it's only going to end in one way. And the problem with that is is that it's the exact same ending as Return of the Jedi. A lot of this will have to depend on how we see it. I don't know how I'm, I feel like at the end of the day, how, what I'm going to be like walking out of it, it was like, you know, it was fun. It was Star Wars. It was in the spirit of Star Wars. And overall, it was quality. But I fundamentally disagree with the choices that were made on just about every level, especially the key characters. Like, I think what, what what's going to happen is that, um, Abrams just accidentally it looks like just because a lot of it does really just unless they're trolling us like a lot of what happens or what we've been seeing so far in these leaks and in these trailers looks as if like they went out of their way to really just kind of like go back on everything that last Jedi said like last Jedi left off with Kylo Ren's gonna be the big bad never mind Kylo Ren broke the helmet Never mind, which not a big deal, but whatever. That's one example of it. Um, Kyle, uh, Ray is a nobody. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never fucking mind that. Um, you see, it's like when you really think about um, several things. Oh, um, another aspect of this Luke didn't want to train Ray because he didn't want to train any more Jedi. Some leaks have said that. Uh, in episode nine, he knew that she was a Palpatine. Leia knew she was a Palpatine. Okay. That doesn't work. Th- mm-hmm. th- does that? I, I just remembered uh, another reason why uh, I didn't believe in the leaks is because it's it's just a lot of information. Yeah. Not just of, like the whole movie, but it's kind of like. It's too much almost. <laughs> it's way too much. Like, why would you put that much information in the movie? <laughs> Like in the like in the first one, because like all you because, get. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on to that answer because J.J. Abrams said, "What the most important thing about this movie is to answer as many questions as possible." That was a direct quote he gave to Entertainment Weekly last week. But that question doesn't need to be answered. Like <laughs> it was answered in the Last Jedi. Like her parents are nobodies, and that's it. Like she's just a regular person. Yeah why okay and then the reason why he didn't want to train ray is because of she's a palpatine why do we need that answered he like we know why he didn't want to train anyone else because he failed miserably with kylo ren that's all it was and it's just way too much like there were some crazy shit rumors that were like saying that the Mortis gods were going to have a factor in this or that the world between worlds and and time traveling was going to happen. I think it's pretty clear that's not going to happen. 
Um, but there were some leaks that came out that showed um, that. Uh, oh, then also, I'm sorry, uh, Snoke. That's going to be a big canary because let's just think about this for a few minutes. If Snoke knew, unless he didn't, but like if he was that powerful in the Force, you'd think he would know. If he was a supreme leader of the First Order, which was supposed to be uh, a darker version of the Empire that came out of the Empire's extinguished remains. But Luke, but uh, Snoke said that Snoke didn't really give a shit about Rey. His end game was Skywalker, and when he told the Kylo Ren that when I thought, or somebody said that. I thought that my rival in the light would be Skywalker, not some girl. And Snoke ultimately was going to kill the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine? Um, no. No. And you know what? Oh, God. And this is a new level that I just hate. I seriously, and this I find despicable, truly despicable. The people that have called Ray a Mary Sue all these years, which, by the way, I want to state that Mary Sue complaint originated with Max Landis, who has now been accused of sexual assault, just to be clear about that. And of course, it fits. Um, so these Mary Sue complaints that Ray is just a Mary Sue archetype that can do anything and she's special at everything, which makes her not special. She's just too overpowered and everything. And oh fucking God. The fact that oh now she's gonna be Emperor Palpatine's granddaughter. Oh, that explains why she's just so naturally gifted at everything and can do anything. Which so I feel ultimately speaking I already know how I'm going to feel about a lot of these things and when you think about it for just a few minutes it yeah it's it's ultimately it's clear that the priority of this film as J.J. Abrams has said is to answer as many questions as possible and that you wonder why would a director that says openly i don't like endings my biggest fear is writing endings do this movie of all movies <sighs> so there's that so we still got time we're gonna have a lot more tv spots for uh rise of skywalker um and you'll definitely know how we're gonna feel um when that comes out so um do you have any more thoughts to add on that okay we're gonna go ahead and leave it there and move on to jeff Loeb, uh who is seemingly out at marvel television not a big surprise whatsoever um this on the heels that cloak and dagger has been canceled which means the only show left after ghost rider was canceled on hulu the only chef that's the only show that's left is um runaways which is a season three that's confirmed on the way 
and most likely will be its last um, season. <sighs> I gotta tell you, Dave, ask you, David. Um, so, Marvel Television is being absorbed into Marvel Studios with all these Disney Plus shows. I think you and I, generally speaking, um, we've been following Marvel Television for quite some time. I mean, I think as far back as 2013, when it comes to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, um, the Netflix shows, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, even Runaways uh, on Hulu, uh, The Dreaded and Humans, which, holy fuck, um, even some non-MCU shows like Legion. And I generally, for the most part, at least in the beginning, I liked almost all of their stuff. And then as it continued going, going, and going, there were some noticeable deteriorations in, in the end results of certain projects <laughs> in humans. Um, I really... I really don't know how to feel about all of this because it, it almost just just feels sad because so much potential in a lot of these projects is just this is the same thing that happened with Fox basically when the merger was being finalized they had all of these things in development and as soon as the thing was finalized they were all canceled right which is what happens when these things happen but I almost feel like poor Jeff Loeb <laughs> because like even though we were critical of certain things he did I knew at the end of the day, there wasn't much he could do with what he was given. And what he was given were super, super small budgets by Ike Perlmutter, who controlled Marvel Television up until very recently when Kevin Feige was named the president of basically all things Marvel. Um, so... It's definitely what you would consider the end of an era. But there have been rumors. Uh, you and I discussed on this show a few weeks back that there were rumblings of Chloe Bennett's uh, Quake character being considered for an Agents of Sword TV show at some point. Um, but now, as I mentioned to you before the show opened, that there were some rumblings going on that perhaps they could continue with Charlie Cox and Kristen Ritter's uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones characters, fully integrating them into the MCU um, after a certain period of time when they're allowed to do so. And, I mean, if if they're planning on doing that, that would definitely make sense why the Ghost Rider Hulu show was canceled. And if they're planning on utilizing um, Gabriel Luna's Ghost Rider character into the films. So I think there's two ways to feel about it. The first is, it's sad that Jeff Loeb's division was never given the opportunity to do, to deliver on the potential that Kevin Feige promised. And he was, his, he was kind of like handcuffed to certain things. But now, with him gone and with Kevin Feige in charge of everything, there's the potential for a lot of what Loeb did to kind of retroactively be absorbed into the MCU proper, which I think at the end of the day, I, I would actually be in favor of. I think it'd be cool if you take Gabriel Luna 
don't recast him. Just take him from Ghost Rider, put him into the movies. I think it'd be cool if you take the Daredevil everybody fucking loves and, and do something new with him in the MCU. I think that can also help in diversifying the general um, generic feeling that a lot of people have toward the MCU. You could use a lot of these characters to carve out different tones. You, you're, you're already going to use Moon Knight and Blade, presumably. Okay, but if you're going to use a Ghost Rider and Daredevil. Those are different tones already. Use them. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. How do you feel about all this? No, I mean, I would be excited about that too. Like, I wish I would have seen, like, Daredevil and Jessica Jones in that portal scene in Endgame. Like, uh, yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter like, if you don't know who they are. Like, yeah. if you followed the whole entire MCU, like, you wish, I wish I would have seen them. I wish I would, in that scene where um, Captain Marvel flies in, I would have left for the helicarrier to pop up right you see the agents of shield <laughs> yeah like so i'll i'll be very excited about this now what i don't know is exactly how they get to put them in because my first thought was just have them be like sidekicks from other people's mm -hmm. uh, movies like have daredevil be in the spider-man movie or something or well i think there, there's a track record with some mm -hmm. of those characters you could probably introduce them in some team-up movies. Yeah. And then they get their own standalones um, if they're big enough as films or as shows on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Or just, yeah, just keep the sh keep their shows going on Disney+, Plus, but that can't, I don't think that can happen for a long time with Netflix. Um, that, yeah, that's... Well, well, with Ghost Rider, you can definitely do. Um, oh, yeah. Or Disney+. Plus. With, with Daredevil, I don't know. Um, unless they just call it the new Daredevil, <laughs> they call it a different show, but just ended up, you know, continuing off. But it's also, it's, it does present a little bit of a conundrum because as other Disney show, Disney plus shows have been confirmed, like, um, Moon Knight, it's an R-rated character, but you've already said you're not going to have any R-rated content on Disney plus. So it's like, Gee, you're really going to, you're really going to have like, let's say a continuation of Matt Murdock's Daredevil, but watered down on Disney plus you're really going to take a TV show of Ghost Rider that would have been on Hulu where you had the freedom of being, you know, really grotesque and I guess a little bit obscene, but put it on Disney plus where it doesn't have that ability. So I'm just a little confused, but to be fair, I'm sure they are as well. I think they're figuring it out right now. And Kevin Feige is continually, you know, finding his desk filled with more and more projects and responsibility, whether it be with, you know, it's not just about making the movies anymore. It's not the Disney Plus shows. Now it's the entire company of Marvel, even the comic books. And now... Star Wars, and as we mentioned, some leaks were saying that depending how well or not Rise of Skywalker does, I don't think that matters. I think it's pretty. Alan Horn already wants Kevin Feige to replace Kathleen Kennedy as the president of Lucasfilm, if you ask me anyway. Um, which is, they have a history of doing that with John Lasseter simultaneously being the president of 
Pixar Animation Studios, and then also Disney Animation proper. So we'll see what this means. Um, I think it's way too early to know what this means for sure. But all I'm thankful for is, thank fucking God, S.H.I.E.L.D. got the chance to do what it did. Um, look, in all of this sea of shit and things being canceled and killed left and right, only one show of this entire pantheon of series was given the ability to tell the story they wanted to tell all the way through. And I'm glad it was that one. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so if we have no further thoughts on that, let's go ahead and get into the last topic of this, and that is the Scorsese and the Coppola stuff that happened. So last week's show, we had a whole discussion about those comments. David, I want you to tell me your... Yes? Sorry? Uh, I want you to tell me your initial reactions, your very first reactions when you read off those comments in the beginning of all this debacle, and then tell me what you thought of it once you heard our discussion and what you took away from that when i first heard uh what was it scorsese's yes uh i disagreed obviously uh, <laughs> yeah it's just like my first thought is you know art itself always changes mm -hmm. it's always different like in the time of my first i uh, my first thought was like actual art with like paintings and all that mm -hmm. like that was first seen like they wanted to draw the human body as perfect as possible or like make into a statue but then you get van gogh and picasso just changing it completely that's basically the same thing for films so first you know you just they just did whatever the fuck they want and try to put meaning into something like that was cinema <laughs> at some point and then but then now someone some point someone decided to just put actual stories <laughs> into their movies something some of that can mean something big some of the some of it could just be like it's almost a bit of an adventure especially with scorsese's like um what's one of, name one of his movies i don't know gangs of new york goodfellas raging bull it, taxi driver yeah goodfellas like it it really is kind of like a, a big adventure of someone's life in yeah like gangsters you know mm -hmm. but it's just there's just no explosions or superpower stuff it's 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 really all that like all that is i think the 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 clearest way we can say is that and i think you and i come at it from a very similar um i think sensibility is that the initial uh impression that this made that superhero films and maybe even blockbusters in general were being made to feel as less than or less important than any other kind of movie making or genre was a bit was insensitive and insulting and also not accurate at least how you and I view cinema and what we consider to be movies um i think for me i was turned off by those comments and while i think uh there was a deeper meaning behind that i don't think that takes away from the original uh, dispersion against those movies. Again, they can have whatever opinion they want. Of course, they've earned it. You know, if you don't like it, it ain't for you. It ain't for you, you know? But at the same time, the reasoning that they gave, let's say for their not liking of these movies, I'm to my perspective, wasn't necessarily accurate. 
The one that I didn't necessarily like was when Scorsese said that there that these movies are not about human beings, you know, experiencing psychological and emotional events with other human beings. No, I I don't agree whatsoever. I you know I can't tell you the number of emotional reactions I've had watching some of these films, and obviously there a lot of these stories are profound stories of human beings having connections to other human beings. So. I understand if maybe it wasn't up to his standards and if he didn't like it, and that's all fine and good. But the reasoning and definitely the impression that these movies were uh, not real movies, um, I'm not so sure was entirely fair. Now, I do think, though, as I said in the other podcast, that there was a bigger criticism of the film industry and where we are now. And I think that makes the comments that he said, I think, look a little bit more understandable when you talk about the bigger picture. What did you make of that conversation? What did you take away from that conversation that we had, Peter and I, about talking about uh, these comments being saying more about where we are in the film industry and less about whether certain movies are movies. I thought it was weird that they people took it the wrong way. Like, yeah, they, they just kept talking about the state of film instead of actually talking about what they were saying. Yeah. I did find that it was so, so weird. <laughs> it's like, are you missing the point here? Yeah, you're, you're really missing the point. And it's really just what it is in the end. It's like, this is just their opinion. It, it really doesn't matter what they say. We're still going to get these movies. We're still going to love these movies. In terms of like what they were thinking of the state of film or like the film industry, he sort, of, he sort of talked about that with Kyle. Do you remember? Like he he disagreed with you and that he thought this thing was going to be temporary. What was Kyle? I know you said that you, what you and Peter were saying, but like, I'm just bringing this up. Um. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because Kyle's um, take on where the film industry is right now is that it's a temporary thing. Things come in fashion and things come out of fashion. And I think there's there's something to be said about that argument. But oh, I think it's been no secret that my main, uh, at least my take, and certainly Peter's take, is that it's not a fad. And it's kind of kind of what it's the culmination of what's been worried about for years and that it's the everlasting toggle between the elite and the uh and and the uh what's what do you call i think the audience in terms of like the direction in which movie making is going and when steven spielberg was first making his his first films that ended up being blockbusters a lot of critics like pauline kale were concerned about what this meant for the future of film because she was like Oh, his movies, they're for the masses. You know, they're like, they're entertainment. They're not art. You know, they're, they're, they're not movies. And in the end, it's going to end up hurting real movies. It's basically the core of what she was saying about the, the blockbuster. Because the, the first real blockbuster was Jaws. And then it was Star Wars. Um, and then it, it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and of course you have the culmination that with the marvel cinematic universe and one of the comments that rdj said is that you know it came in and it kind of like eliminated the competition and other figures like we mentioned when john campia said that well why is marty only complaining about superhero films that make up five percent of all movies released well 
because the fact that only five movies make up 40% of all of the money that is made in Hollywood. So like we've kind of reached that pinnacle of there's a problem. And I think people have a hard time disassociating between attacking because I think in large part, many elitists do not distinguish between just flat out attacking Marvel and then also critiquing the film industry. Yes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had negative adverse effects um, on, on the film industry, but it's not that to me anyway, that doesn't take away some of the great films that they've made and some of the good aspects that they are. But again, it's also it also serves to remind everybody that films exist to make money, you know, to enrich an enterprise. You know, that's kind of what our capitalist society dictates. We have to keep that in mind. I think we forget that so much. Like we get so wrapped up in this like argument of is this art or is this not? All movies exist to make money. And the problem with that is the films that many people consider to be the, the greatest example of this art form we call cinema do not make money anymore. They just don't because audiences have selectively ignored them. And so the frustrations that Scorsese and Coppola have, I think, are well found. There are worries that that art form, the, that the one that they care about, is going away. As I mentioned in some of the comments in the previous episode, it's not realistic to blame the theaters because their business is to stay in business and they're not going to stay in business if they only just show the films that Scorsese or Coppola would make. That's just the reality. So with all of this happening, I think you and I are in agreement that the bigger point was largely ignored and people just missed it. You know, I think this is more than just two old men yelling at the cloud. There's some substantive arguments that are being made, and perhaps their true crime, if there was one, was not eloquently explaining what exactly was their concern. And so people like James Gunn immediately latched onto this like this very simplistic like movies are not movies. And it's like, okay, we already we already lost the forest for the trees at that point, I feel, if we're talking about that. So What's new in this development is that Bob Iger <laughs> fucking chose to say something. And I'm going to read what he said. And uh, if you forgive me, I'm going to systematically take down a lot of uh, how I feel about Bob Iger these days and where the Disney company is. So if you, for a minute, grant me or for several fucking minutes at this point, um, what, what Bob Iger said was... It doesn't bother me, except I'm bothered. On be- <laughs> That's funny. It doesn't bother me, except I'm bothered. On behalf of the people who work on those movies, Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese are two people I hold in the highest regard in terms of the films that they've made, the films I've liked, the films we- we've all watched. But when Francis uses the word despicable, I reserve the word despicable for someone who committed mass murder. I These are movies. To whom is he talking? Is he talking to Kevin Feige, who runs Marvel, or Taika Waititi, who directs, or Ryan Coogler, who directs for us? And then it goes on to say, um, I think I've sounded a little more defensive than I wanted to be, because I don't really feel the need to defend what we're doing. We are in the business of, first of all, we're in the business of making money. 
we're a profitable business. At the same time at Disney, we try to balance that we're, what we're telling that we're telling great stories to the world and infusing them with great values and supporting an employee a employee based of well over 200,000 people around the world with a great care and frankly respect. So I I I just don't I'm puzzled by it. If they want to bitch about movies, it's certainly their right. And then he says, you're telling me Ryan Coogler making Black Panther is doing something that is somehow or another less than what Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola have ever done or any of their movies. Like, come on. Yeah, I said it. And just to be clear about that, I don't think Bob is saying that Black Panther is like a great film to the level of Scorsese. I think what he's saying is that because of how much of an emotional resonant it was for a community that showed that that's what cinema can do to people. I think what he was trying to say in those comments, that last bit was that you're telling me that a movie that can touch a movie that can touch so many people Mm -hmm. is less than what you've done. But that's what, that's what he was saying. That's a good way of saying it. I can admit it. Like as much as I love these Marvel movies, I can say that something of Scorsese's or Steven Spielberg's movies can be better than those things. It just doesn't. It just yeah. doesn't mean that you can't call them cinema, because they do impact a certain people. Right. And, yeah. You know, they what they would consider cinema of something that oh man, I don't know how to wear this. There are movies of what they consider to be cinema that can touch certain people. Well, let me let me tell you this. I think a better way of saying when when you're saying something isn't cinema is you're basically saying that's not what I look for mm-hmm. in a movie. You know, that movie doesn't speak to me on that level. It may for you, but it doesn't to me. And I'll give you an example of what I think these comments to me make more sense to attack. And that's the Disney live action remix. When you think about it, I think a lot of these comments are fair attacks. If you look at it from that perspective, which are, are I think, a primary example, to my view, of factory making movie making. Um, because a lot of those are just copy and paste, as we've been saying for years and years and years. And I do find that despicable because on top of just cheaply making more money off something you've already done, it's as if you're really just, you're, you're sailing off the, the, the coastals of, uh, of the actual creative creatives that made the movie great in the first place. And you're just kind of like, hi guys, we're going to take what you did. We're going to like make more money off of it, but not for you. Um, so there is, I think something despicable to that. That these movies have to be such hollow carbon remakes that and they can they can't be allowed to be anything different. One thing to note is what we've praised on this channel though are the trailers for Mulan because it dared to not be an aggressive copy of the first of the original Mulan film. We should note right now there are some massive, and I mean massive four month reshoots that are going on with that film and we do not know if they're going to add in mushu or add in songs the fact that we can't deny that is troubling to me so 
And this is why I think it's fair to attack that. To me, and what I've said about these live action remakes, they're not what I look for in a cinematic experience because most of them to me have been joyless. They have been pointless. They say absolutely nothing through the living embodiment of a company that is already on top, shamelessly ripping off content they already own, and they're printing money. Just They're just so easily and seamlessly printing money. And that an entire community of fans rewards that behavior and looks for cinema for that to be. Now, you like what you like, that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. From the perspective of me, I get nothing out of those experiences. And in fact, with Lion King, I got the adverse effect. I got angry <laughs> and I got... um this layer of disgust that I walked away with because it's really the same movie that I grew up with, but done in the worst way possible. And I'm supposed to be happy that they did that for me, that 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 was a movie that was made for me. No, I don't think that's true. And I think they're the example of they're the worst example, maybe the best example of what you would consider factory making movie making. And, um, and I think to, I think it's appropriate to call them to respect. I think it's also appropriate in some level that cinemas are, are kind of turning into theme parks because, well, the only way they're going to make a buck is to attract those big Disney movies. Like Disney understands this. And we should note that on several different occasions, Disney does approach their movies, most of them, with this broad sensibility of what can we do with them as an intellectual property for our theme parks. How do we know this? We have several reasons. There are several examples we can point to. One of which was when they acquired 20th Century Fox and they were looking at Jojo Rabbit and one Disney executive walked out of that movie horrified thinking, how is this in our brand? How are we going to market this and put it in our theme park? You You don't do that. You know? Um... Like, wow, just wow. And also the fact that these things are, they're, they're, they're an attraction, you know, they're, they're an attraction based on a character that, you know, and you come to see and that's it. That's all, all that it is. So I think it is it's certainly fair that the live action, the Disney live action remake is the best example, I think, of what Scorsese and, and Marvel and, and Coppola are attacking, I feel. And it's also scary because of how successful they are. The Lion King 2019, if I'm not mistaken, I need to go back and look at this, but it because it technically is animation, is the highest grossing animated movie of all time. So, well, that. this is go, why go ahead, I said that I really disagreed with them because I said, you know, art and or cinema. Mm-hmm always changes like what the meaning is and you just right. kind of kind of explained to me exactly like you kind of proved to me why why that is because you say it's a factory made movie which i don't i don't disagree i completely agree but i also see that they are making these movies for the kids because when i was a kid i didn't like cinderella 
Jungle Book or Star Wars that much because because of the quality. It, like it's just something about it couldn't get me into the movie. And that's that is happening with some kids. I actually listened to this other podcast where this guy said that his kids couldn't get into watching like the lion, the original Lion King or uh, Aladdin or the Little Mermaid because they're so used to seeing animation like Zootopia or Wreck-It Ralph. And so that's that happens. That, yeah. that That's happened to me many times. I'm sure it happened to you. Yeah. Cinema will always change and that what they say, like, it's just it's just not that true. And so mm-hmm. is that's why this whole this whole conversation is just so pointless, right. basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, yeah, I agree. And I think that point is definitely well made that that's not a perspective that I would have thought of. Um, but that certainly can be true. And it definitely is true um, for that. And and I know that because that's just, that's kind of how we grew up with. That there are some things that are just not accessible to us as children because we deem it to not be so until we age into a certain uh, time in which we might appreciate works from the past that we might not have considered previously to be so. So, yeah, obviously, we're just talking about our feelings about all this here. But I think with Bob Iger, look, Bob Iger did what he had to do. He had to, you know, the politically correct thing, he had to step in and defend his his products and his company and his namesake, and he kind of threw a couple of punches back. So that's what he had to do. But I think in general, my, my main issue with that is, look, Disney has, in more ways than one, um, made a lot of troubling decisions and uh, have arrived at many circumstances that I feel um, I I don't necessarily they don't sit well with me at all. And like when Bob Iger, <laughs> Bob Iger, um, you know, getting so mad about. You know, those comments affecting uh, the creatives that work for him. Oh, God, I don't even know where to start. Um, I just feel like, look, Bob Iger has done tremendous success for his company. And Disney is at a point where they are the evil empire as far as the scope and the power that they have. But I feel like we have to stop looking at them with like rose-colored glasses and look at some of the actions that they've done that really speak to something that's far more sinister. Because I don't think, I think it's disingenuous for Bob to create the impression that Disney cares about the film industry and about the art of cinema. When I mean, yeah, he said in those comments that they're in the business of making business and making money. But it's hard to say that you care about genuine filmmaking when you yourself stranglehold a lot of exhibitors, a lot of theater chains, and you force them to devote their biggest and best screen to to show uh, your movie unless they don't get that movie. That's happened so many times lately. It happened with The Force Awakens. It happened with Last Jedi. I'm willing to bet you it happens with Episode Nine, to where like they're they're bullying the actual theaters into make they're basically it's kind of like blackmail. Either you show and it's not it's not like they don't have the right to like be on that, the biggest screen, but like it's the amount of time, like in order for a theater to have star Wars episode nine, they have to devote at least four weeks of having that movie play on their biggest screen. And if that doesn't happen, 
they don't get to play the movie at all. And as we've mentioned several times, if you're a theater and if Disney doesn't let you show their movies, good luck. You ain't making any money. So I think that needs to be acknowledged. Also, uh, Disney Plus. So Disney Plus entirely exists because Netflix said no to them. And how dare you say no to Disney? And what does Disney do? They say what Bender says in Futurama. I'll make my own theme park with hookers and with blackjack. And that's what they do. Anybody that refuses, they go and turn around and um, they make their own version of it, as we've seen so far. And because of that, Disney now owns Fox. And when they bought Fox, they ate up an entire movie studio, which has never happened before, of that size and scope. 10,000 people lost their jobs. That's devastating to the film industry. Um, And it also... They reveal themselves to be the worst people to own Fox. Of course, we've known that they only bought Fox to dump the content on their streaming service, it would seem. Um, except they, they're not, though. That's the funny thing is a lot of the, the library of the Fox movie studios, they're not putting in it on Hulu or Disney. They're just hoarding it. Okay, what was the point of buying the entire fucking library? You know, it's like, what? And on top of all of this, now Disney is using the Fox library that they purchased not to put it on any kind of streaming service as we originally believed to be the case, but they've actually just started to ban any kind of screenings for these old and classic Fox movies. I have here, uh, just to have it open here, the report from Forbes. Uh, which reads, as the movie theater business struggles to stay relevant in the age of cheap streaming services, Walt Disney's purchase of 21st Century Fox earlier this year, uh, this was obviously last year, has brought about a worrying new trend for smaller theaters who are finding it increasingly difficult to gain access and to screen classic Fox movies. Here are some bullet points. Since Walt Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox, an increasing number of film programmers and theater managers have found it difficult to show screenings of Fox's back catalog of older movies, which was first reported by Vulture. Disney has quietly been placing classic 20th Century Fox movies, everything from The Sound of Music to Fight Club and to Die Hard and Home Alone, into its vault, making them mostly unvaluable to for-profit theaters. The long-standing Disney Vault strategy has kept older Disney movies out of theaters for years or decades in a bid to artificially generate excitement for repertory screenings. But now, that's happening to classic 20th Century Fox movies, too. It's hard to tell exactly what Disney's policy is on Fox movies, according to Vulture's investigation, but smaller theaters across North America and some bigger chains, like Cineplex, have begun have been abruptly losing access to those movies. For smaller theaters especially, who rely on that collection of older works for repertory screenings to drive an already struggling business, that could be a death knell that makes survival much harder, several sources uh, told Vulture. And let me put up uh, a different, uh, because obviously this is really breaking as we speak uh, these stories. And... Really, it's I, I just feel it's another example of how 
they don't care. I, I mean, it's one thing to say that you're a business that's in the interest of making money, and that's first and foremost, yes. But what I found rather insulting and distasteful about those comments from Bob Iger is to create an impression that he and his organization give a damn about the art of cinema. And I just feel that this is yet another example in which they do not. They clearly do not because they are hurting and strangling and crushing any other. I mean, these are these are small piece competitors here. And it's I feel anyway, really baffling. And also, it shouldn't really surprise anybody given their track record. But this is going to do. Uh, a lot of hurt, a lot of damage to these small exhibitors who relied, as you know, I was just reading, who rely on these films to make any kind of business. And here we go again. Here we are again at yet another example in which this company is not only not being any kind of uh, big supporters for any other kind of competition in this business, but they're actively throwing their weight and crushing any other kind of small competition, which, I mean, really, it's just the piece in the cake here, basically, but when you also realize the fact that they're not even going to be on any kind of streaming service, these movies, they're not just not going to be screened. There has been no word if these films will be on any kind of Disney Plus or Hulu, and that is unfortunately sad and disgusting, and that is... Uh, I don't know if we're ever going to see those films ever again. But then when they took over Fox and he and Alan Horn looked over at what Fox was doing and they were horrified. They were horrified that these movies were not marketable to their Disney audience. It doesn't take a fucking genius to realize no shit, Sherlock. Fox wasn't making Disney movies, really? You What, you thought Jojo Rabbit was your next big hit? That you can make a Jojo Rabbit attraction? Like, Alan Horn is an example of I, as somebody I consider to be somebody who is insufferable at that company. He complained to Steven Spielberg on the set of West Side Story that there was too much smoking happening. West Side Story is a period piece set in the 50s. And you're complaining that there's too much smoking going on. You guys don't have the interests of filmmaking or cinema in mind whatsoever. That has been made beyond clear. Not only that, you cancel half of the projects that you previously announced you were going to do because you say that, oh, a lot of the Fox movies were underperforming. Stuber underperformed. Dark Phoenix underperformed. Tolkien underperformed. No shit, fucking Sherlock. You think those movies are going to be on the level of success that you're accustomed to? They never were. And so at CinemaCon, they were like, yeah, here are all the Fox movies that are going to release. And then as soon as like, I don't know if it was Dark Phoenix or if it was another Fox movie come out that it was horrible. They're like, you know what? Never mind. We're going to go back on that and we're going to make less and less Fox movies now. And we're going to apply harsher and stricter uh, requirements for every film that gets greenlit, which means, you, you well, you know what that means. Um, so it's like every time they say that we care about film, 
they show it that they don't. And it's like the, the destruction and the erasing of 20th Century Fox is a fucking tragedy. It's a merger that, as Peter said, if we had antitrust laws in place, wouldn't have been allowed to happen because of just how massive that merger was and is. When you have a merger in which 10,000 people lose their jobs, in fact, more than 10,000 people, that's a massive, massive outrage, um, merger. They paid $70 billion to acquire a company that they've systematically stripped down to the parts they've only wanted to um, weaponize a streaming service to fire thousands of people. That's what they paid $70 billion for. And at the exact same time, they can't be bothered in their parts division, which is run by Bob Chapek, to pay their employees, their cast members, a living minimum wage? You had you let these um, picket lines and these strikes to happen because you don't want to, like, you can't afford to give them a living wage the same time you put down 70 fucking billion dollars to acquire a company you're only going to strip down and erase? You are publicly shamed by Bernie Sanders to raise it a little bit, and you did. But what happened that wasn't covered by the media? Oh, yeah, you fired half of them. That's how you got around having to raise their wages is that you got rid of a lot of them. Yeah, that happened. You know what else happened under the direction of Bob Chapek, who is the director of consumer and now parks at Disneyland? There was supposed to be this wonderful new hotel, this new luxury hotel, they said, that that's sitting on where ESPN Zone was at Downtown Disney. The next big luxury hotel at Disney, at Disneyland, California. You fucking canceled it in the middle of construction because you struck a deal behind back doors with the city of Anaheim to ensure that you wouldn't have to be forced to pay higher wages because the city of Anaheim had a measure that passed in that election cycle that would have made every business in their city to at least pay $20 minimum wage. And they were so disgusted by that that they literally canceled a fucking hotel that was in the middle of construction to ensure that they wouldn't have to be forced to pay more for their workers who they want to convince you and me they give a damn about. Because there's a new Disney Plus series that's happening, right? That's going to really show off how they treasure and they love their employees. When at the exact same time, these past few years, they've been systematically putting out their old Imagineers out to pasture. Imagineering is not what it used to be because there's just no point to it. It's all about intellectual properties and how we can put a movie here into our park. And that's just about it. So that you're already limiting the Imagineers, but you're also not investing in your Imagineers. That's why to some people like Peter, there, there's some lackluster um, responses. Joe Rohde, who is the Imagineer who created your animal theme park and also helped James Cameron develop Pantora, the world of Avatar. He is the same person who is in charge of cranking out I told you it's going to be a long rant. I'm sorry. It's it's the whole thing. Is also in charge of, of the Marvel Avengers campus that's happening at Disney California Adventure, which to me and to a lot of people seems to have come across with a big thud. Um, there doesn't seem to be much excitement about that because it's a, it's a small scale themed land 
that is opening in phases and the company is not treating it like that big of a deal. So why should we? That seems to be the, the, that's what I'm I'm getting off of this anyway. And then with Bob Chapik, cutting and cutting and cutting the funding of these parks, you're cutting back on cast members, you're cutting back on entertainment, on live entertainment that was usually, you know, included in your admittance to Disney World and Disneyland. Okay. There's also this attitude, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a lot of people from Walt Disney World are really upset at their recent, uh, well, not recent, but the level of uh, service has been terribly inconsistent from resort to resort, from park to park. The cleanliness has been terribly inconsistent, where it used to be that you wouldn't walk in a Disney park and you would be like, you wouldn't see trash on the floor. There are some parks that apparently have trash. There are some parks that apparently have disgusting bathrooms. Like, it just seems that on a fundamental level, the uh, there's just no vision for the Disney company. And then going back to the movies, well, where do you want to start? Bob Iger <laughs> is the one who is responsible most for the disaster of Solo, A Star Wars Story. When I was saying for months, why would you release the Star Wars movie that nobody asked for the same month as Avengers Infinity War. Why? You think that was going to make perfect sense? And no, what happened? It was a disaster. He did publicly say that it was his fault. But who got the blame for that? Kathleen Kennedy got the blame for that. That's the reality. How do you respond to what happened with The Last Jedi, which was a massive success, we should say? You begin... To basically, it would seem, I don't know, I mean, what, what we've been seeing, a lot of the decisions they've been making lately look as if they're listening to these anti-Last Jedi people, you know, with why is um, Kelly Marie Tran's Rose Tico removed from the marketing, except for the poster that we just saw this week, but a lot of the merchandise she wasn't a part of. Why are you seemingly putting Kevin Feige to push out Kathleen Kennedy? You know, it's like, Okay, what's happening here? Um, Alan Horn, who is supposed to be the, the, the chief of your studios, is responsible for the firing of James Gunn. He's also responsible for uh, the negotiations with Sony collapsing. He was the one that destroyed it in the first place. Now, you may argue that in the end, they, they got what they wanted, but he was the one that pulled the trigger with no intention of going back at the table. He's also the one... Um, that's uh, shepherded this era of live action remakes. And of course, the whole Fox issue. One of the things that Peter pointed out brilliantly, you have to think about this. Where Disney would be right now as a company and as a movie studio, if they never purchased Star Wars, Marvel, or Pixar. If we took away all of that, and if we look at these um, these remakes, okay, Let's look at the, the, the what four films we talked about. Dumbo, Maleficent, Lion King, Aladdin. You got $2 billion films. That's a great success. Dumbo massively underperformed. So is Maleficent going to massively underperform. And as we mentioned before, you're greenlighting sequels to movies nobody liked in the first place. If this was any other studio, and if you didn't have the firepower of Star Wars or Marvel, you would be put up the task for these losses, but they're so massive that they could make no penny back on Maleficent and they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. 
because they've got all of it anyway. Right? Also, John Lasseter. What happened to Pixar once Disney bought Pixar? Okay. John Lasseter pretty much was like, okay, guys, tell me what to do. You want sequels? Okay, we're going to have a decade of sequels. Okay, let's go ahead and do that, which were financially successful, but to a lot of people uh, were ranged from okay to decent to good. Maybe one of them was great. All of them were unnecessary, but they made the money. At the same time, John Lasseter went to Disney Animation, and there was a revival era that was born because of John Lasseter, but if you noticed, um, sequels were also part of that revival with Ralph Breaks the Internet and also with Frozen 2. Um, also, you make the argument that John Lasseter had no business being, you know, running those companies when not only he, like, was apparently touching people, but he was also an abusive drunk that also got in the way of production. Notoriously, John Lasseter walked out of some meeting with the good dinosaur saying, you know what, it's good enough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be that great. When you know that that movie was played with disastrous um, behind-the-scenes stuff that was happening. And it's not until the man is publicly accused of sexual harassment that, you know, he gets let go. Ike Perlmutter. Ike Perlmutter aggressively got in the way of Marvel Studios. It was because of this man that Civil War almost never happened. It was because of this man that Captain Marvel and Black Panther didn't come sooner. He was blocking these projects from happening in the first place. This is the man that Kevin Feige once reported to. This is the man that said that um, we can't have a female villain in Iron Man 3 because she's not going to sell toys. And it's because of the feud with Perlmutter and Feige that this drama with Marvel Television, is it canon, is it not, happened in the first place. And it's because of Ike Perlmutter that that disastrous Inhuman show happened. And so you think, why, why, why would you not fire that person? Why would you keep Ike Perlmutter involved? This past month, Disney made Kevin Feige the, 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 basically the king of all Marvel. Why didn't you just do that years and years ago? Why was this a new development? Um, I know this is kind of like a rambling rant at this point. But these are issues that I I feel are fairly, fairly transparent and things that we have been talking about for years and for years and for years. And when you look at the parks and what's going on right now, the reason why Galaxy's Edge is not necessarily being the attraction that it was is because I think there's there's a lot there's a lot to the the school of thought that says, well, why would you open Galaxy's Edge without your main attraction? rise of the resistance ready to go and the reason why was because executives wanting their payments and their bonuses and they needed it open by quarter three of this fiscal year because of money and because of numbers and statistics and blah 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 blah. and now you have all of this horrible this horrible press that and people are actually being convinced because galaxy's edge is not doing as well that there's a problem with star wars and then i'm sure you heard about that skyliner disaster that happened at walt disney there was a disaster uh, a skyliner um at walt disney world there was this new mode of transportation that was opened 
um, a few weeks ago. They call it the Skyliner, and it's kind of like what the the buckets, the sky buckets used to be. Uh, and one of them crashed. It was an accident, um, and people were stuck in there for hours and hours and hours. And it turns out it's come to light that 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 uh, mode of transportation was the exact same one that happened. I think it was uh, I don't know in some country that it, it, it that one of them fell off and and completely like was destroyed on impact. Um, so there just seems to me that while Bob Iger definitely has, you know, done a lot of good for the company, you have to ask yourself this. When he's gone, who are the people who are going to replace him? Let's look at our options. We have Alan Horn. We have Bob Chapek. And these two are arguably some of the most antagonistic figures in the company right now. In particular, Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek is the man who is most known in this entire decade as cheapening uh, the Disney parks. As I, I told this to Peter. Bob Chapek is to Disney parks um, what Scott Buck was to Iron Fist and Inhumans. And that's so fucking true. So, I just think, when we look at Disney, and when we evaluate um, what their CEO says, and where we are right now with the success, somebody needs to be out there pointing out, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, they deserve um, credit for this, and Wonderful. Congratulations for your success here. But it is more than relevant to say, especially going back to this whole notion that Bob Iger was standing up for um, his employees. Well, I'm sorry, from, from my perspective, he's not standing up for most of them, especially the working class element of his employees who are being continuously crushed by this company. Um, and I don't think it's unreasonable of me to point that out. Because Disney is a company that I'm sorry, they have all the money in the world. Like you have all the money in the world. And you can't, like, if you really care about the people that work for you, you would pay them a living wage. You wouldn't make backroom deals. You wouldn't cancel projects just so to avoid having to pay them more money. You know? If you really care about filmmaking, you wouldn't buy a studio just to strip it down just so you can use it as a weapon for your streaming service and then just systematically destroy all these films and these jobs. So it's like, while I understand why Bob Iger needed to say these things, I find it extraordinarily hypocritical um, when you consider all of what Disney is doing, not just the good, but also the bad. And I say this as somebody who, generally speaking, has enjoyed the vast majority of the films that we've gotten from Disney in the past 10 years. I would say the vast majority when it comes to Star Wars or Marvel or Pixar or Disney animation. Live action, not really at all. But most of their movies I have enjoyed and have liked. And generally speaking, I do um, like their brand. But I'd argue their brand is kind of beginning to suffer when you compare to all of these 
uh, examples. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If it's Alan Horn or Bob Chapik who replaced Bob Iger, oh boy. <laughs> I don't necessarily trust them very much. I'm sorry. Um, with what's going to happen next. Uh, especially when we are such in a high stakes example. And so when you're somebody like a Martin Scorsese or a Francis Ford Coppola, and you're looking at the things that I'm looking at, I mean, at the end of the day, Marvel is Marvel. Film is film. People can like what they like and they don't want, and they can, they're certainly free to feel what they feel about whatever film it is. But if we're going to evaluate Disney, I feel continuously so that they're a company that gets way too much positive and um, just positive press and we don't acknowledge the bad things that they do, which I feel legitimately are bad. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long that rant was um, and I don't care to know, but um, suffice to say, I'm tired of talking because I think I'm losing my voice. Um, in closing into anything we've said about this show, is there anything you'd like to add, David, that you hadn't already said before? Because I feel like you're falling asleep. <laughs> Sorry, <on> man. <laughs> I, I sleep like three hours a day. So, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm tired. Uh, I think you said everything that could be said about that subject. And I really don't know much about it. So, yeah, there's not much for me to say. Okay. We'll go ahead and leave it at that. Um it's it's oh god, when you when your guests are just so completely exhausted, okay. Um but that's okay, so am I. And I'm sure I've exhausted every last one of you. But thank you all for listening to this podcast on 194 here. Thank you, David, for being here. I want to remind all of you, you can catch our podcast every single Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or Wooshka. Also, they'll be going up on YouTube and Facebook now if you happen to follow those pages on our social media. Um, and uh, keep an eye out for our Halloween special of The Shining. Um, yeah, that's going to be fun. But uh, until next time, uh, thank you all for listening. Stay under the spotlight and bye-bye.